Welcome to Trade Wins. I am your host, Tara Solberg, the founder of Few and Far and Indigo Love, two halves of one thriving business. I am a South Coast girl from a small town, and when I launched my business over 10 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. What I did have was passion, drive, and a commitment to learn as much as possible on my way. I will take you through each chapter of my unique business story. You will get real insight into the lows and highs, the trials and triumphs, and the many, many lessons learned. In fact, I will share all of the things I wish I knew when I was starting out all those years ago. So consider this your personal invitation to take the first step on the journey of a lifetime towards owning your own business. One of the biggest hurdles we all face when starting a new business and something that can quite often be the deciding factor as to whether or not we actually pursue our ideas or not is finance. I know when Danny and I started our business back in 2009, we didn't have a lot of money or access to money and we didn't know a lot about that side of it either. And our business was built from a contribution of the entirety of our savings, from selling assets and from borrowing from the good old bank of mum and dad. We had put together a business plan in order to apply for a loan from the bank, but accounting was never my strong point. And so when it came to the numbers side of the business and forecasting, I had absolutely no idea where to begin. It was like learning another language. And that's where I would have jumped at the opportunity to have had somebody to speak to or ask their advice on this topic. How do I start a business with limited cash flow? How do I break through that fear factor, especially when it comes to putting everything I have on the line to follow my passion? What do I need to have in place to make sure that I don't put myself at risk? What I've learned now from all the years of being in business is that if we can understand and embrace the concept of money and how that translates through our actions, we will then have the power to channel our focus to making money work for us rather than always chasing it and always falling short. I wish I'd had this advice when Danny and I first started out in business. We could have done so many things differently and achieved far better results. Being in business for yourself not only allows you to manage and control your income, but there are also so many tax benefits and clever ways of gaining access to money. And that's why I've invited a very special guest onto the Trade Wins podcast today to give you an insight into how to approach that leap into going into business for yourself and making sure you're taking the right steps to a successful outcome. Melissa Brown is an ex-accountant, ex-financial advisor and ex-working till she drops. Nowadays, she's best-selling author, financial educator, business strategist and mentor and entrepreneur who is passionate about helping women particularly also live a life by design, not by default. Melissa uses her unique, sometimes irreverent but always inspiring voice to speak and write about money, financial awareness, habits, strategy, business and occasionally shoes. She has written three books and her current book, Budgets Don't Work, But This Does, 
dives further into understanding your money story, money environment and money type and developing great financial habits that work for your unique financial phenotype. Mel is CEO of the financial education business for women who want to financially grow up. Melissa Brown Dot Courses, Director of Business at the Long Day Early Learning Communities, Thinkers.inc, and up until she sold the business for seven figures in 2019, she was CEO of the award-winning accounting and advisory firm ANTA, Accounting and Taxation Advantage. Three very different businesses that all are pushing the boundaries in their fields, questioning what is possible and disrupting their industry in order to create the best possible results for their communities. Well, hi, Mel, and thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to my fancy new trading podcast. <laughs> You're um, so welcome. I'm actually so excited to have you here and you're my first guest of the season. So Yay. thank you so much for jumping on. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen or heard of Mel, um, well, what can I say? You're a breath of fresh air to the finance industry and I love your playful yet serious approach to managing finances, but also more importantly, taking control of your life. So if that means having more money for shoes, then I guess I'm in. I love that. And you've captured exactly how I want people to think about money and the finances. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have to be serious. It can be playful yeah. as well. And I love that you've approached it like that because I guess for especially like a, a younger woman, it's just so much more relatable for me. And, you know, having you as that role model, I guess, is just such a, a an asset um, to, you know, developing and, you know, further growing our knowledge into the finance side of things. Hmm, thank you. So <laughs> that's okay. Um, so I guess... If you can tell me a little bit more about you. So where did you grow up? Were you always ambitious? Or more to the point, have you always loved numbers? <laughs> <laughs> well, my dirty little secret is that I didn't do maths in year 12. So I was wow. always, yeah, I loved English and I loved history. Uh, and I just happened to be good at maths. And so yeah. I was doing three unit English and three unit history. And I remember I started with four unit maths and then I dropped to three unit. And then I was thinking, oh, I don't even, I'm not even enjoying this. And the maths teacher said to me, well, if you're going to drop again, you may as well not do it. And as she said it, I could see her face and I went, oh, uh, is that an option? Yeah. <laughs> so I dropped maths completely in year 12. And I guess that's the thing for people to understand. You do not need an accounting degree. You do not need a maths degree in order to understand the numbers side of your business. You just yeah. need a great accounting solution. Um, so I, uh, I always wanted to study law from school. Uh, I grew up watching LA Law and I thought it was so glamorous. Uh, but the reality of that <laughs> when I got to it was not quite the same. And I remember one of my first job interviews, I was married first time quite young and they asked me, you know, what contraception are you on? And all those yeah. hideous questions. <laughs> and I just, the more I, I, I studied and the more I worked in the field, it was just so dry and it was so the opposite of everything that I thought it would be. 
And my dad was an accountant and he said to me, and I was at that stage where I just didn't want to disappoint my dad. And I was re- I felt really lost. And he said, look, there's some law in accounting. Maybe you should just do that. So yeah. I studied accounting really just to appease my dad and because I didn't know what else to do. I was like, yeah. it was law and that's it. Yeah. Uh, so it was only in my, uh, so from there, uh, I studied accounting. I went to work for my dad's business after working for a couple of corporates. Yeah. Um, and it was only when I was 28 that I was looking to do some more study that I thought I'll just pick up some of my own clients so that I could fund this further study. And at age 33, when I was divorcing my then husband, I kind of looked and went, oh, crap. I have ended up with an accounting firm with staff and hundreds and hundreds of clients that I never intended to end up with. And I hate it. And it's traditional and it's boring. And if you told my 12-year-old self that this is where I'd be, I would just have wept in the corner. (laughs) So I decided, I paused everything. I put everything on hold. I didn't take any new clients. And I just decided I'm going to think about what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And at that point, I started an MBA. I started to read and I worked out that I actually loved business. You know, business was a thing that really lit me up. And tax, I just happened to be good at. but. By being great at business and having that really strategic head, I could, and having access to all of the numbers for these hundreds of businesses, I actually could really make a difference in the lives of these business owners, but also through what I was implementing. Um, So from that moment, that's when I started owning more businesses and really geeking out on the business side of business. Yeah, wow. And I guess that goes to show too, like that you, you didn't, study maths well in year 12 and it's kind of that same sort of thing where you don't actually have to go to university you know to have a career or you know start your own business and that sort of thing there's so many people that have you know finished school before year 12 or whenever it might be that have become so successful because yeah I guess school might not have been for them and you know there's so many different influences in their life that have kind of led them along a different path but yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And and the fact even that you had this successful business, but that you made that decision that you didn't want to do that anymore is a pretty mm. thing as well. It was. And it really, and I think as business owners, we forget that these businesses are of our own creation and they can be whatever we want them to be. Yeah. And I think too many businesses think this is how a business needs to look because this yeah. is what everyone else is doing. Whereas often that's the exact wrong thing that we should be doing. And in a sea of sameness that we're never going to stick out that way. And we're never going to be as successful as we could be. And to your point about school, some of my most successful businesses that I've looked after over the years didn't have year 12, um, were just freaking amazing at understanding their niche and they really got business and they were willing to work on the business side of business. Yeah, and having that practical experience as well. Like I know when I came out of uni, I just obviously looking back at it now, uni was very, I guess, beneficial in terms of the creative side of what we do, like branding and concept building and storytelling and all of that sort of thing. Mm. But when I first started my 
you know, my first job, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I can make it look really pretty. I can build yeah. a beautiful brand, but now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, it's funny how things turn out. But no, definitely everybody should have their own path and, you know, just learn from the, these practical experiences. So what did you want to be when you grew up, like when you were younger, obviously? Oh, my gosh, it changed every day. And this is where that story and to be really careful of the stories that your parents tell you. So I was a smart girl growing up. Yeah. So I wanted to be a policeman. I wanted to be a hairdresser. And my dad would say, oh, no, 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 you need to go to university. And yeah. it wasn't until I eventually started saying lawyer that he was like, yes that's yeah, the one good idea <laughs> yeah exactly so I I wonder if that's what I did just to appease him yeah so I think yeah. for parents just to be really careful of the stories yeah. of the influence you're placing on your kids and if you've been influenced to actually look at that and go actually is that what I want and yeah. I'm now all about helping people design the life they want rather than living a life because someone else wants you to yeah so exactly. Yeah, who knows? Thank God I didn't follow that. I think I would have been a terrible policeman. <laughs> well, I wanted to be a hairdresser as well. And I don't know of any, like, you know, everybody that I've been speaking to lately, even Sari, my daughter, she's like, I want to be a hairdresser. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. I Like, I wanted yeah. to be a hairdresser. So many people wanted to be a hairdresser. It's Absolutely. so funny. I think it was that cool, you know, that's one of the first interactions we had. Yeah. kids maybe that were like oh this is a bit of fun there's yeah. music on and people yeah. are enjoying themselves <laughs> make people look good and <laughs> exactly exactly yeah no that's funny <laughs> and so listening to you now um like what is it that you love I know that you mentioned you love being able to help people kind of create this life that they want mm. is that what you love most about what you're doing now it is. I found that now, so I was a lefty growing up and I got swapped at kindergarten to a right-handed. Yeah. Um, and I grew up, as I said, three in English, three in history. So I loved words and being creative. And yet I have this pragmatic brain as well, which I reckon has got something to do with the fact that I was swapped hands. So I love now that I have, I'm able to feed both the creative side yeah. and this pragmatic side and have such a big influence on not just helping people one-on-one, -on -one, but helping people in a far wider way than I ever could have when I just had a service-based business. Yeah, no, definitely. And I I can see that as well. And, and I can feel it, obviously, with everything that you do. And I know I've heard the story before about um, your first book and how you sent that out. So you sent it out to, was it Cosmo magazine? Yeah. So yeah. we sent it out. It was called More Money for Shoes. I was a Western suburbs accountant. No one knew of me. No one wanted to talk to an accountant. So <laughs> uh, I, we packaged it up in these white, glossy, shiny shoe boxes, put a CD in with it. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a decade. No, about seven years ago. That's a lot. <laughs> shows where we shifted yeah. um, and a, a bit of a thing about me and we sent them with these big beautiful pink ribbons into all 100 different media outlets yeah. um, and Cosmo was one that rang and said so 
you know, we received this beautiful book that was colourful and full of analogies and we'd really love to run an excerpt. I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) sure. (laughs) And then they ended up sending me an email and said, oh, actually, rather than two, we we were thinking a four-pager. Like, oh, okay, (laughs) let me think about that for a moment. But it's that when you can be creative and when you're willing to do something that's different than what anyone else is doing, and that book was full colour, I absolutely could have seen as being a bit of fluff. Um, Yet that got me so much media and so much PR and absolutely has meant that I'm in the position I am today where I'm a thought leader and authority in my industry because I was willing to do something different. Yeah, it's definitely established your point of difference. Yeah. That different approach to everything. And it makes it so much more exciting as well. Absolutely. It's far more interesting spin on it, more money for shoes rather than, yes, let's have a more profit. <laughs> Which is also exciting, but it doesn't sound as exciting. No. <laughs> And so what would you say has been your biggest challenge in life or business um, and how did you overcome it? I think it was, I think I, we don't live in a silo. So how we're operating personally is often how we're operating in our business. And for me, one of the biggest challenges I had to overcome was me not believing I was enough. So that's a money story that I carry. So in my finances, I saw that around sabotage and unwillingness to invest. Um, In my business, I absolutely saw it as where I kept small. And it was reasons why, oh, you know, I'll create this product, but then I won't push it out. Because, you know, I just, I don't know that people will want to buy this. And who am I to even do this? So I'd do it for a little bit, like the example of the book, but then I'd retreat and then hide. That was Foster syndrome. Totally. Absolutely. And so that more, that not enough had meant that I didn't back myself enough, either personally or in business. Um, So that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that crept through and biggest mindset mistakes that crept through yeah but even I guess touching on that like I know that you know we all feel this feeling of imposter syndrome and a lot of the times you know doesn't matter how much experience we've had like I need I know I've even heard a quote from I think it's Meryl Streep who's like oh my gosh like, why do they want me to act I don't know how to act kind of wow like, you know, yeah this you know Hollywood award-winning actress but uh-huh even in that situation that you were in, like you had already, you'd had successful businesses and you've yeah. proven to yourself that you can actually do it, yet you're still feeling like that. But mm. just goes to show that everybody kind of goes through that little wave. And it's about what are you going to do about that? So for me, yeah. I think the best way to take yourself out of that is through action. Yes. Uh, so for me, it was I actually ended up seeing a therapist because I was so tired of the sabotage loop. I was in, but I also put myself in networks where I found that I was in local networks where they all wanted you to stay a certain size because then, you know, we all feel okay. Yeah. So I put myself into networks like entrepreneurs organization where you had to be a certain size revenue. It was mainly blokes and it was a lot of Eastern suburbs peeps. I'm Western suburbs. And it made me look around for people that I had 
been intimidated by in the past and compared myself to without realizing it and then going wow you guys and you know I, I think I'm probably as smart if not smarter than many of you yeah. so who am I not to do all these things exactly. so it's taking action and putting yourself in different places to challenge those mindsets yeah and also I guess like the whole Beyonce Sasha Fierce yes I think on that whole, you know, new, this is not me, this is somebody else. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you have to put on a persona and just get on with it. Yep. <laughs> I've done that many a times. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what about, have you always been good with money yourself personally? Oh, God, no, no. <laughs> and quite shame uh, to my, uh, where I was very ashamed of it because I'm an accountant. Um, I'm a financial advisor. I should be good with money. And I think that should too often in business and with our finances, we should all over ourselves because we're not at the age and stage we think we should be, or we're not as far along as we think we should be. And I've made horrific mistakes, everything from credit cards and credit card debt, where the point I don't have credit cards now um, that are a limit of anything that I can't pay off quickly and easily and I have a problem with chocolate and I have a problem with credit you know it's just (laughs) can't have either of them in that can't have chocolate in the house can't have credit cards in my wallet Um, but it's the same for business when I was 33 divorcing my then husband I made an emotional decision as a result of something he said where he said you're not going to make it on your own so I took every cent of the divorce absolutely cleaned out our bank accounts Uh, my bank accounts, not his, sorry, and gave it all to Opportunity International because it was an emotional reaction. And I wanted to ring them the next day and say, (laughs) I'm the charity. I did not (laughs) keep money. Yeah, I didn't keep money for bond. I didn't keep money for wages. I didn't keep money for tax. So I had to move into a frat house with six friends and really dug it took a couple of years to dig myself back from that so I've made some big mistakes yeah and so you had a business at that time that you were yeah. running yeah mm-hmm. so yeah to so get through all of that and it was tough you know it's yeah. and that's where I really hibernated the business for a period of time because I was like I just yeah. don't know I just don't know if this is what I want to be doing and I'm not making great financial decisions so I'm gonna I'm not gonna take on any new clients and I'm yeah. just going to make sure I get through this. Yeah, yeah, no, good decision. Sometimes you do just need to take that bit of time, especially when you've made such drastic decisions like that. Oh, one. yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. I think you can go, what are you doing? And if anyone else was in that position now, I would say to them, if you're going through something emotional, have someone, whether it's a professional or a good friend, that you run all yeah. of those financial decisions past. Do not make a financial decision or a big business decision without running it past someone first. Yeah, no, definitely. That's great advice. From a finance perspective, what advice can you give those who are looking to quit their nine to five and take the plunge to start their own business? So I would get you to, first of all, decide, do I want a side hustle or do I want a business? Because I think people are enamored by this idea of business. And yes, some people should absolutely quit their nine to five and go throw themselves into it 
full full throttle but yeah. for some people it should be a side hustle that yeah. they run super profitably on the side and keep their corporate job and I'm all about building multiple streams of income and that could be one of their income streams yeah. so before you quit you need to sit down and work out how much income do I need do yeah. I have enough of a buffer to quit my job and if not I need to build that buffer or figure out how I'm going to live while this business is building up. Yeah. But then you need to sit down with the numbers in the business and say, okay, how quickly could I get there? How many sales? You need to work it back. What would my sales need to look like? What does my profit need to look like? And break it down to a weekly and even a daily number so that that's something that you can then keep track of and know whether this is working and tweak and change it as you go. Yeah, definitely. And I guess all of those steps are part of breaking through that whole fear factor as well, because yeah, obviously leaving your nine to five job that's, you know, can be quite lucrative or, you know, pays very well to yeah. potentially earning no income at all or, you know, surviving on the bare minimum, depending on, you know, if it takes the business a while to take off, then yeah, it's a massive step. So Obviously, I guess being prepared and planning for that exit is really important. And like you yes. said, having that buffer. Yeah. Um, but so I guess like when you speak about a buffer and, you know, that side of things, obviously, depending on the style of business that we're getting into, mm. like, so me, for example, like when Danny and I, you know, started our retail business, having a retail store, there's quite a lot of outlay. Yes. Because we've got to pay for stock. We've got to, you know, do a fit out, like all of those sorts of things. Mm. So what would be your tips or your advice on how to actually finance a startup business or you know where can you kind of look to to gain access to money for those sorts of things so there's a number of ways that you can finance it you can do it yourself where you cash strap it yourself so if you've got the finances yourself you might choose that that's where you're going to spend it what I would suggest that if you have a mortgage though yeah that's okay debt whereas the business if that's um if that's money that you can borrow to pay for then yeah. that's going to be good debt that I can get a tax deduction for so if I had money sitting in my offset account or if I had equity in my home I would rather have debt on my business than grabbing that money out of my offset and yeah. using that for my business as well. So I would look at that and say, how's it going to be smarter to fund this yeah. business? So if I've got a home, then I might look at either having an overdraft or some sort of bill facility where I can pay for that. But there's also other types of financing. So if I was looking to do a fit out, because the bank knows that they can come and take all of that and leave, you might be able to get a chattel mortgage or a lease for those fit out costs. Yeah. So it would be sitting down and working out what's my cash flow budget. And this is where I'm not a fan of budgets personally, but I am a fan of them in business. Yes. Where yes. it's how much do I need to set up this business? Where am I going to get that funding from? Do I need to go to the bank? Can I um, pay for it myself? And then it's working out how am I going to repay that? Yeah. So if I'm borrowing $100,000, what's how long would it take me to pay it back and if you've done your cash flow projections and figured out okay within three years I could that's when we need to be careful because there's the initial money you might need for your fit out and if you're an accountant 
that might be all you need because yeah. we can become profitable quite quickly. Yeah. But if you're a retailer and if you're growing, you're going to need money for stock. Yeah, reinvesting all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So it might be sitting down and going, yes, I need that for fit out. But if I was to grow, how long could I not pull money out of this business for? Could What would it look like if I didn't touch it for 12 months? Could I fund my personal finances and then reinvesting into the business? Or can I have conversations early with the bank to say, at what point could I get a larger overdraft? What would you need to see in order to get more funding? And having that great relationship with your bank manager is key because they can help you finance the growth of your business, but they can't if you're not talking to them. Yeah, definitely. And I know from experience with Danny and I, that has been a fundamental part of business growth is having that relationship with the bank manager. Yeah. Prior to that, it was always kind of like, you know, chats with your accountant and everything, but they couldn't really make anything happen. No. The bank manager steps in, like things just start happening. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't know what to ask for a great bank manager and you don't want your local branch manager necessarily. You want a business manager. manager. They'll know. And you might be thinking, oh, I think I want an overdraft or a mortgage because they're the names you've heard. But there are so many products from chattel mortgages to leases to bill facilities to personal loans to all sorts of things that you could use to fund your business, um, including merchant facilities and more. You just need to know, you need to have that conversation so that they can help guide you. Because I know um, going into the second year, so the first year that we started our business, it actually made a profit. I think it was about $24,000. But it was Yes. (laughs) So uh, we were like super excited about that. But, you know, we, we, to get started, we had a bit of savings. Danny had sold a boat to finance it. Yeah. Also, I'd had to borrow from mum and dad, good old bank of mum. Bank of mum and dad. (laughs) Perfect. Yep. But so I personally wanted to make sure that I could pay them back as soon as possible. I didn't want that to become like a burden on them or anything like that. So I remember going back to the bank. And this is at the time that we didn't have a business bank manager or anybody to speak to. So I was kind of blindly going my way about trying to access money. And I remember just Mm -hmm. making an appointment with the the local bank manager, yep. <laughs> like you said. And um, and I remember just, I still remember sitting there at the desk just saying, look, I'd like to, I'm, like we need to borrow $100,000, whatever, however much it was. And she was basically just like pulled up our accounts and all that sort of thing. And she's like, yeah, there's no chance basically. And I was like, well, what about 50? And she, I, I just kept going down the scale and she's like, no, I'm like 25. <laughs> Can I hear it? 15. Yeah, I think I got down to 15. And she was basically like, no, I'm sorry. Like, you just can't borrow anything. You know, you needed a lot more time of, you know, like because you're your own business, you know, more time on paper and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely. And then as soon as we brought in that business manager, she was like, okay, this is how you need to structure it. You need to set up a shadow mortgage for over here. You need to have a line of credit over here. And yep. this is a tax deduction. Don't use this loan, all of that kind of thing. So that was yeah. amazing for us and huge step forward. And your local branch manager knows mortgages and personal loans and those personal products. They don't necessarily understand how to finance a business, no. which is why you need that extra conversation. 
Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I know if you've, if you've got um, equity in your home, they might then be tempted to say, just increase your mortgage when actually that can sometimes be the worst yeah. thing that you can do because then it's mix, missing up that deductible and non-deductible debt. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Too hard to track as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess like leading on from that. So when you are, when you have got your business up and running and you do see it making a profit at what stage, and like, this is a question that I get a lot. um, Mm -hmm. And it was actually a question that we always used to have as well. Um, So how do you decide what to keep as profit or what can you actually like, you know, take out of the business? Yeah. Should you be feeding back in and, you know, at what stage, like, can you start building your own personal wealth and how Mm -hmm. do you do that? Um, I know I've got a take on it, but I really would love to hear yours first. (laughs) No, I love that. Uh, So my thing with the business is it's not a charity. So you don't want to run it for your employees and your customers only and for you not to take any money out of it. Otherwise, what's the point? Yes. So I believe you should. It may not happen from year one, but from early on, you want to at least take a small amount so you get used to paying that regular wage. And then you're factoring that into the business growth. Yeah. And when I was, when you do your cash flow and you, how do, what do I want the business to make? I would always be factoring in your superannuation and your wage yeah. so that when you're looking for business growth, you're not just looking for paying your employees and a profit, yeah. you're also making sure you're getting paid in there as well. Yeah. And it's not to say you, you need to be able to fund your growth. So yeah. for me, it's always making sure you've got three to six months worth of expenses in that bank account yeah. so that if COVID happens, <laughs> if there's a downturn, you're not stressed out. Yeah. But as for taking nothing, I think the thing I see people do wrong a lot is they take nothing or yeah. they take everything. Yeah. And both are problematic. Yeah. It's working out what do I need to leave in there to fund growth, as well as making sure I am taking enough personally that I've got personal wealth. Because yeah. too many business owners are looking at the sale of their business as their super when they should be building their own personal wealth at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I know when we started out, we were doing it all wrong. Like we were taking nothing because mm. you know, trying to be frugal about everything, but it wasn't necessarily the right way. Like we were, we were, when I say nothing, we were literally living off the business, but yes. at the bare minimum. So the business was paying for our petrol and our groceries pretty much. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we didn't really get to enjoy anything else because it was all kept in there. And at the same time, if you're taking a wage, you can also see that the business can actually afford to run itself. Exactly. Well, and yeah. And I I think as we get further on and the business is more established, I don't know what you think of this, but um, the way that we've been, we have learned like through advice from the bank and everything is that if we can obviously still take our wage or whatever it is that we should be paying ourselves and not too Mm. much like you said yeah making that in turn you know puts that wage into your profit and loss statement or whatever and then so your profit of the business builds and so look at your business looks really good on paper yes therefore when you go to the bank you're are you are able to borrow against that because the business is looking healthy and it's profitable yeah you've taken all of this money out and it's just sitting in your account they're not going to kind of factor that in 
And the bank will still look at your whole situation. So yeah. if I go to a broker, they'll look at my personal tax return and they'll look at my business tax return. Yeah. But we also don't. So, but if I'm going to sell it, sell it. Yeah. they're going to look at that. So I would be still putting in. So when I had my accounting firm, I was still paying myself a decent wage. I think it was 180000 or plus super. Yeah. But I made sure that was a separate line item on the profit and loss. So it was really yeah. obvious to the yeah. bank. And it was obvious to someone buying it. Yeah. And then the profit was yeah. there as well. Yeah. 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 No, it's always a tricky thing because I know, you know, even, you know, getting further and further into building our business and they're, they're just a hungry monster. Like they oh, just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're always asking our accountant. So when can we actually take something out? And when can we like, you know, fix up our own house and uh-huh. things like that? And he's like, well, do you still want to grow? And it's like, yes. And he goes, never. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Sometimes where it's better to do is you wage and then dividends for things like the house yeah. or the overseas holiday. Because yeah. if we're just taking too big a wage, we can squander that. Yeah. But you're right. If you are wanting to build fast or if yeah. you're wanting to build to, you know, if you're wanting to double or if you're wanting to get that nice juicy growth, sometimes you've got to sacrifice your own wage yeah. in yeah. order to fund that because the bank might not pay for it. And yes, you could have a kick-ass house, but then a business that's, yeah, it's okay, but it's not the potential it could be, which is why you also want to ask yourself the question, how big do you want to get? Exactly. Because you actually might be really comfortable with a, say, for example, a half a million turnover and you pulling out a hundred grand consistently and for that to be great versus someone else is like, no, I want a $10 million business or a $20 million business. So for them, they could maybe only take a wage of 50, yeah. but everything else is going back in. So on personally on paper, they look worse. Yeah. And they're probably frustrated going, where's my money? Yeah. <laughs> but they're building this thing for the long term that they'll yeah. ultimately have those gains with. Definitely. And I guess, too, the other mistake that we made was not having our structure set up correctly. Yes. So that wasn't kind of allowing for any of that. Like when you're saying mm-hmm. paying dividends and things like that, we were a partnership for so long. You're having so- to pay all the tax yourself. <laughs> yep. Tax exactly. planning, and asset our- protection. Yep. Yeah. Like our personal tax return was basically our business tax return. Yep. So- paying so much tax and so I guess obviously making sure that you've got that structure set up correctly so that you can kind of divvy it all up and work out exactly where money is going and having a sole trader a partnership for the first year while you work out if this is going to work could be absolutely appropriate but then from that point the minute you go you know what I think we've got something here this is going to be something I stick with that's when you need to go and have that conversation with your accountant to say is there a better structure? Yeah. Um, and potentially that would be a company or a trust or a company yeah. where the trust is the shareholder. Yeah. But you're giving yourself asset protection and also options as yeah. far as tax minimization. Yeah. Because there's so many things like yeah, it's just a rabbit hole as you get. Oh, yeah. Making Definitely. Buying houses and things in the right names and the right. Uh-huh. All those sorts of things. So we yeah. won't go down that one. No, but having a great relationship with a great accountant is oh, key. Like yes. absolutely. And I'm an ex one, but yeah. you, if you can't talk to your accountant, go find one you can talk to. Yeah, and that 
to be honest, has been a game changer for us as well. Yeah. We've got an accountant now who has, you know, done wonders for us in our business, which has been really great. So yeah, always making sure that you're asking them heaps of questions and, yeah. you know, asking why they've set certain things up and all of that kind of thing. I think it's really important. I agree. Um, and so with somebody who's currently already in business, do you have any advice for them in terms of how to best manage their finances? So what numbers should they be focusing on? Mm. How regularly should we be running reports on these to keep track, all of those sorts of things? How do we know that we're running a healthy business? And it's funny because back when I had the accounting firm, that was often the question people would ask, is my business going okay? like, well, the answer is it depends. What sort of business do you want? And I can benchmark you and tell you whether you're going okay compared to other businesses, but ultimately how well it's doing is how well you want it to do. Yeah. Um, So I think you need to be looking at the numbers regularly. So for some numbers, you want to look at them daily. Uh, At least, so I absolutely for some numbers, I think you should look daily. Uh, At the very minimum weekly, And then the rest of them monthly, quarterly, and then annually. So it's no different to, I used to play state league netball and I used to understand the touches that I would have to have on the court in order to play a good game. Uh, The shooter would know uh, what her stats would have to be in order for her to have a good game. Why do we, you know, in the Olympics that we just saw, Every athlete there knows the numbers that they need, both the splits, but also what they needed to do in the lead up to the Olympics. It's the same for our business. So if you're a new business, it might be things like leads and conversions. Um, It could be retention rates. So it absolutely would be around customer acquisition. But for most businesses, it would also be average sale. And also um, how many times they're coming to buy from you. Yeah. As well as then moving on to profit and capacity and cash flow. Uh, for retailers, it might be stock turn yeah. so that I know how many days the inventory is sitting in my store to work out where it's being lazy uh, and whether that stock turn is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, it might be my profitability per square meter. Yeah. So I might have this beautiful big shop, but really it could be half the size because my sales aren't large enough to warrant a shop this size. Uh, So the numbers that you have will be dependent on your business, but you should be looking at it five numbers and there'll be a mix of results numbers and activity numbers. So a results numbers would be sales because that's the result of the activity you're doing. But an activity number might be uh, how many people are walking through your door. So the leads that I've got, your activity number might be how many um, times that I'm talking to my customers, whether that's on social media, whether it's EDM, whether it's um, other types of conversations. So uh, yes, as I said, daily numbers, which are usually cash in the bank, daily sales, average sales, say, weekly numbers, monthly, quarterly, and then annual. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously looking at your your profit and making sure that there actually is profit there and exactly (laughs) and that would be my at my monthly number but daily is my cash flow to make sure I've actually got cash in the bank to pay for the things that I need to pay for yeah and if I don't what do I need to change or what conversations need to do I have with the bank ahead of time 
yeah, yeah, exactly. I know when we first started out, I had this very basic um, paying invoices routine that I would go through because my mum actually came on board with us to do our bookkeeping. So I had no idea about bookkeeping. I am going to openly and honestly say that I am terrible with that side of things. You do not have to be good at bookkeeping. <laughs> you just need to be able to understand a report. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> and now I can do that and I've learned so much, but I still don't really want to have too much to do with that whole, you know, processing side. But yeah. It's funny though, because obviously having that experience in the business and having to pay all of the invo invoices, file them, like all of those sorts of things, I actually learned quite quickly and I could, you know, visually see how much I was spending each week yeah. and how much was left in the account and whether I would use a credit card or I'd do a direct debit, all that kind of thing. Yeah. It's actually such a great exercise for seeing, you know, am I overspending? Like, can we afford this? Because I was physically doing it myself and yeah had my little plastic drawers like to be paid paid <laughs> that's so much uh, that's so I mean I think too often people abdicate this side yeah They're like I'll just give it to the bookkeeper and they've got it your yeah. bookkeeper should ab absolutely be looking after uh, making sure everything's in the right spot in your zero or your quicken or your myob file but yeah. then you really, I love that habit of for the first year at least, yeah. paying your own bills so you start to get a feel for what's the cash in the bank? Where are we actually at? Yes. Definitely. And then having your bookkeeper report the numbers to you regularly. Yeah. And it was nice too, because I could slowly start seeing that cash build as well, which is uh -huh. like, I'm a visual person. So yeah. <laughs> yep. being able to see that, I was like, oh, wow, we're actually like getting somewhere, you know? Yep. So, and then I was like, damn, I have to order more stuff. For it. <laughs> can't just keep that <laughs> and that's where especially for taxes and things like that you might have a separate bank account because you could be so excited at the cash in your bank and be oh I should buy more stock I should be doing this or that having a separate tax account means that you're siphoning that tax off you're prepared for it and then what's left in your account is like okay I can I can have this for the store yeah definitely and so I know a lot of you've always got some really great advice and it's always been really helpful. And, you know, I'm always tuning in and listening to it as well. I've done your courses and that sort of thing. So can you tell everybody a little bit more about your courses and what you offer? Absolutely. So I've got both personal finance and business. So per personal finance is the financial adulting plan, which is an eight week course we run three times a year where it's all about helping you get comfortable and confident with your finances. Um, and the other one is the business adulting plan, sensing a theme here with these two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a longer course where there's both an online element to help you understand how to run a great business, not just you, you, you get the you side of business. You can, yeah. you know how to do plumbing or retail or whatever it is, but I'll teach you how to run a great business. Yeah. And then it's masterclasses and strategy day. And it's more, a long-term uh, thing rather than the short-term finance course. Yeah, no, they're really great. And I, you know, I will give you five stars for those ones because I love what I've been oh, doing. Thank as well. you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and last question. So do you actually have a separate wardrobe for all of your shoes? <laughs> 
And does it have all those like shoe boxes with the fancy labels on the side so you know what's in there? God, I would love shoe boxes with all the fancy labels. I do. I have to confess. So I'm a big advocate if I won't let people call their business their babies because you have to be able to sell them or mistreat them or whatever. I call my shoes my babies. <laughs> so I have a home in the Blue Mountains and an apartment in a city. So I have two wardrobes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and yes. The good thing about that is Ivan and my husband doesn't exactly know how many shoes I have because whilst they're all on display, they're in two locations. So yeah. it doesn't seem like quite as much. But, yes, there are separate racks and cupboards and everything. So nice. Yeah. I, know and Danny- I need them to feel special. Exactly. <laughs> well, Danny probably beats me in the shoe stakes. I think he's a bit of an Imelda Marcus. <laughs> I love that. Good work, Danny. <laughs> oh, anyway. Oh, my husband used to say it's never the quantity, it's no. the brand on the side of the bag. Yeah, well, that's so a he, good thing to go by. <laughs> yeah, he used to say to, because um, he used to work at a football club, and he used to say to boys, boys, don't be worried about the number of bags, be worried about the names on the side. Yeah, of the exactly. Bag. Words to live by. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for joining me today, Mel. And thank you for all of that really, really valuable and helpful advice. And, you know, it's as I said, it's always great watching you and watching your approach to finance. And I hope that everybody can kind of jump on and have a look at what you do and maybe experience some of it. And yeah, no, thank you so much for everything and for joining me today. Oh, you're so welcome. It was such a pleasure. And I love that you're not concentrating just on building your own thing, but you're helping so many retailers with insight about what you know. So I love this course that you're doing. It's so fun. Thank you. I guess it's probably for a few selfish reasons too. I just want more beautiful places to shop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yours is more money for homewares. Exactly. Oh, thank you, Mel. And um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on today. You're so welcome. Thank you for joining me this week on the Trade Wins podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or have found value in this podcast, I'd love you to leave me a review on iTunes or to share it on Instagram and Facebook for your friends. To see what special pieces of the world we've brought home, make sure you visit our website at fewandfar.com.au or pop into one of our beautiful stores located in Huskisson, Berry, or Barrel in New South Wales. And if you're thinking about starting your own retail business but aren't sure where to begin or you have an existing business you want to grow, head over to my website tarasolberg.com for more information on my Trade Wins online course where I share everything I wish I had known when I was first starting out in business. I look forward to you joining me again for our next episode. Thank you for listening.